Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 243. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we lament our final episode at our long-held earwolf home. I am your favorite Iranian-American podcast host with high arches based in New York City. I know that there might be others in other states, but for the one in New York City, I know I must be the one. Um, and I, the show will obviously continue. This is merely our last week here at Earwolf, which is very sad for me because I've loved our Earwolf family. Next week, we will be at HeadGum, so please make sure that your feeds are still feeding you your regularly scheduled Fake the Nation episode. This week, we're going to talk about the Royals because it's all everyone is talking about. We'll also talk about the largest relief package in American history, and we'll talk about the attack on voting rights and what it means for the G. Today's panel, the final one at Earwolf, uh, such a such a um, auspicious maybe is the word uh, panel, such a momentous panel, um, such a delightful panel. This panel um, normally has more facial hair than it has today, uh, so I'm a little confused by what I'm seeing. Nevertheless, I'm so excited to have them both. Joining us for the one millionth time is a uh, host of the podcast Fraudsters on Spotify. And if you have not already subscribed to this podcast, which I know you have because you're a listener and you love him, you should immediately do so. Folks, it's my buddy, Sina Ghaznavi. Hey, Sina. 
Great to be here. Uh, what an auspicious day. And also, McGee, my face is, is shaved because I wanted you to remember me in my youth when we met more than 15 years ago. <laughs> um, I uh, I don't remember things that are more than five years old, so our friendship <laughs> only goes back five years. Um, I uh, also am so excited to that joining uh, the show today, you have heard him on the show before. You have loved him on the show before. He's such a delightful person and one of my podcast gurus. He's someone I go to when I have general podcast questions because he's so good at it and you know it from his voice. He is the host of The Political Orphanage and he is Andrew Heaton. Hey, Andrew. Hello. I am delighted to be back and I I feel like I really have to bring the honey-coated baritone timbers now, uh, having had that intro, but it's wonderful to be here. I really set it up with you, but you really do have a beautiful podcasting voice. Cena, yours is okay. I'm working (laughs) on it. The the, the downside is when I I call people, they frequently think I'm a robot. Like I'll, uh, and I've got like a very 1950s, hello, have I reached the Meyer residence? Click. And then I have to call back and be like, what's up? Is Timothy there? And then I sound like a narc. Like there's no way for me to sound like a casual human. That's awesome. Um, Okay, well, before we get into the show, uh, like I said, we're moving to HeadGum. There's a list of people at Earwolf that I want to thank because they've been so wonderful, low these many years. And I'll get to that at the end of the show. Um, But before I do, I want to also point out that I have joined the ranks of Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. You get great perks there, like free bonus episodes of Fake the Nation, free short essays that'll ultimately amount to what is currently titled the Nagin Farsad Manifesto on Life, which is using manifesto in a nice and non-creepy way. Uh, it's a working title where it's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. There's mugs, there's t-shirts, there's um, a keen sense of knowing that you're helping one of your favorite podcasts and one of your favorite Iranian-American Muslim podcast hosts with high arches. And I know I'm not the only one. I'm not trying to be that fucking self-entitled. Um, but I would love uh, for you to join us. Um, there's support at all levels. Um, so we made it very easy for you to join. You can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad um, and join in on the fun. And for Fake the Nation listeners who have already joined, I'm so heartened. I am. I like literally cried the first day when I saw on a Thursday so many of you um, – Come, come over, and um, I, I really, really appreciate it. All right, so let's us now get into topic number one. Holy shit! Congress passed with the slimmest of majorities the American Rescue Plan, and in case you didn't know, it is entirely the largest relief package in American history. Now you've heard some of the big ticket items like a fourteen hundred dollars stimulus check or extensions of unemployment benefits, including the three hundred dollar a week pandemic pay till after Labor Day. That's the easy stuff. That's the stuff we've heard about. That's the immediate stuff. But there is so much more in this bill. And before I have the two of you babble on and on, I am gonna tell the people a few things. I I don't think a lot of people know. I don't think a lot of people know what's in this bill. Here's a couple of things that are that are going to happen as a result of this bill. The average household um, in the bottom quintile of American economic letter will see its income rise by more than 20% per annum. Um, a family of four with working parents 
uh, with one working parent and one unemployed parent will have $12,460 more in government um, benefits to help them make ends meet. Single moms will be receiving $3,000 more in child um, support from the government, along with $1,400 for themselves. Um, the child poverty rate will drop by half. Um, uh, uh, let me look at this one. Uh, this one's really interesting. Black farmers will receive $5 billion in compensation for a century of discrimination and dispossession. Folks, this is a form of reparations. Holy fuck. And then I'm going to cry. Here's another one. Um, Virtually all states and municipalities in America will exit the pandemic in better fiscal health than before pre-COVID. Hey, New York City, what's up? And um, there was oh, there was one too about um, the, of uh, funds that were going to helping Native Americans. There's funds that's the the largest um, number to ever be targeted at that group. Uh, there's also f- holy shit, uh, an expansion of the ACA, an expansion of Obamacare. And for the longest, if you were one of those people that like made a little bit too much money to get help from the government to pay for Obamacare and Obamacare was too expensive, hey, you're going to be able to fucking pay for it because because according to the bill, no more than 8.5% of an of income should be paid to health insurance. So this is fucking bananas to me. What are your initial thoughts, Cena? What about the debt? The debt? Do we care about the deficit? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. What about the deficit? I'm Fucking Ted Cruz over I here. Want, okay. I want the deficit down. Unbelievable. <laughs> I will almost blew a gasket when, and I read some of those things, and thank you for uh, sharing all of those other ones that I actually didn't know about as well. Uh, the... The intellectual laziness of the Republicans to bring up the debt and the deficit now when one year ago, I believe almost on this day, actually, they dropped one point five trillion dollars into the stock market in like 72 hours. And it passed bipartisan support because all of these guys that are Democrats or Republicans make money off the stock market. Doesn't really matter. They just bought a bunch of troubled assets. You didn't hear one of these rich guys or rich people say, what about the deficit? All of a sudden, we got old Uncle Joe in the office and we're passing bills that actually help people. The the five billion for the black farmers. We have all these wonderful things. And all of a sudden, we're conscious of, of the debt. I just debt. can't believe it. Uh, Andrew, where are you? Are you? Now, look, Andrew is not necessarily... A Nagin Farsad yeah, I, when it comes to... <laughs> I, I'm one of those irritating, elbow-patch, neoliberal, moderate folks that, that like, like is bothered by... like I look at the math and go, oh, this seems unsustainable. Uh, I will say, Sita, you make a great point. We, we've gone back to the natural ecosystem of the Republicans, which is to pretend to care about the deficit. Uh, they didn't remotely care about the deficit when Trump is in office. Like, it's... Like, it, like, there's this weird thing where if if a 
if a Republicans in office, Democrats are very, very concerned about war. And then once the once the Democrats are in, they kind of like, mm, well, it's our guy bombing Syria or whatever. But the Republicans in particular, yeah, they don't care about deficit. Budgets don't matter. Um, the military never matters in terms of deficits for Republicans. But it really only counts when there's a Democrat in office. Uh, I, I am slightly bothered by this, but for a couple of reasons. Um, I like the helping people element of this. It makes sense to me that we would have a relief package during a big pandemic. That makes total sense. The bit that does kind of bother me is... By the way, can I just say that thing you just said, I like the helping people element. Can every fucking Republican start a sentence like that? Can they just like at least admit that there's something that they like? You know what yeah. I mean? And now and now let's get to the butt part. Sure. Uh, continue. <laughs> but I just want to say that it yeah, everyone should like the sure. helping well, people and, and element. To, to, to kind of like clarify, this is the mindset I'm at. I I like I like the idea of the government providing a social safety net. And I just kind of want to give poor people money. Like I think it should be very simple. Uh, of just, you're poor, here you go, here's some cash. Good luck with that, right? Uh, I don't like having lots of complex mechanisms. I think those end up getting yeah. gamed by upper-middle-class yeah. people that know how to game the system. So I like it to be— Yeah, admi- the administrative—you want to reduce the administrative burden. 100%. And also, reducing the administrative burden reduces the, the overall cost mm-hmm. because it creates undue complexity in how to administer it. And so it's just transactional costs that are completely wasted, Yes, uh, says the woman who took a year of uh, microeconomics. Continue. Nailed it. I mean, 100%. Yeah. Like I like, <laughs> like when people are like, hey, like there's poor people, we should give them money. I'm like, great. And they're like, and we should create these five federal departments to give people coupons and vouchers. And I'm like, no, right, right, don't right, right. do that. No, it's you. just going to be, yeah. like, it's going to be bankers kids that are going to figure that out don't do that right so the the bit that the bit that bothers me about this is it is a covid relief package it's not it's not the the new deal part 2 it's a covid relief package and there are all of these things that are completely unrelated to covid that bit does bother me so we're building a subway in san jose california we're building a bridge between new york and california there's i think it's like 500 billion dollars we're giving to education but most of it's not actually going to be spent in 2021. It's going to be spent in the future. So that kind of stuff, that bothers me because it seems like a pretext of, hey, there's you better vote for the COVID thing because people are suffering, but also we're going to put in all this other stuff unrelated to it, but you can't vote against it because COVID. So that's the bit that bothers me. Right. So what? there was a little g- gaming of the... Yeah. And I think if you... And I think if you ask a Democrat, like, hey, you stuffed some stuff in to get COVID sympathy, they would probably say we absolutely did. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, what do you think? But I mean, I guess my question would be like, what is COVID related and what is not? How do you delineate between a pandemic that is so pervasive that has sent ripple effects throughout every level of the economy and uh, take that and separate those, right? I think the infrastructure packages that are included with that are almost necessary as part of COVID relief because you can't, relief means jobs. Relief means people making, getting back to work. So I like that there's that there's those infrastructure projects. Now, the one thing that I would uh, agree with Andrew on is, is 
when you do kind of deficit spend like this, and I'm actually kind of into the uh, modern monetary theory kind of camp on this a little bit, where I'm all for the deficit spending, but you should do it well. You got to do it smartly, right? If you just waste the money on stupid projects, and I've been, you know, in working in certain levels of government where you see it's just some like rich kid's son, a rich guy's son that's just like at, <laughs> calling the shots somewhere. You're like, how did this guy get here? There's like a public policy grant that's like been trying to get this job for years. They're more organized to do it. So you got a lot of nepotism in government that are running some of these programs that end up screwing things up for people like us who are like championing these causes and we want good things to happen. They're screwing it all up. We could, so th this is what I would have done. And, and I, I've not researched this. So like, cor correct me on where I'm airing here. I, I just want I just want everyone to know that none of us have researched anything and that we're all generally idiots. Yes. Just so just to clarify like, that I, in case listeners were confused. I, I am wearing tweed, but I'm not that intelligent. I'm compensating. <laughs> and unfortunately, right no one at home can tell I'm wearing tweeds. They just I said like a, 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 a idiotic baritone. I like I, I did back of the envelope math for one point nine trillion dollars. We could have just given everybody a five thousand dollar check. And I, I think I would prefer to do that. Uh, or And if you wanted to wait it, so if you make right, less than 100000 right. you get more. And if you make over 100000 you don't get any. That's fine. But I would just rather give everybody the money than, than have all these different programs. I... So I disagree there because I agree with you that we should have less, fewer administrative burdens. And I agree that like our, 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 our deck, few decades as Democrats of creating offices and programs and how do you qualify? And, and I, I talked about this, um, on a childcare segment we did on Instagram live. You can see that on my feed, me constantly promoting myself, um, I it, that the administrative burden is high and and it has made it so that people that can game the system, you know, that occasionally people who can game the system are able to. And then it has made it so that a lot of programs go underutilized, which is just it, it's criminal. So I agree that we should have more direct payments, especially when it comes to children. And it brings us in par with European countries who have just been with dignity giving money to their citizens to help them with their kids. That really fucking makes sense to me. But the other thing is like, we also have a responsibility to have better schools just in general. Uh, COVID has made that even more difficult. And I think all of the money that should be going to schools is going to schools, should be going to schools. It's fantastic that it's going to schools. And then the other thing with cities and states is that we expect them to balance their budgets every year. They have no capacity to be able to carry debt. Um, that's just how our constitution is set up. We need to help them out of a mess. You know what I mean? And that's just what's happening. There's rampant um, loss of revenue in cities and states. And who is going to suffer from that loss of revenue? Police officers were going to get fired. Firefighters were going to get fired. Public teachers were going to get fired. Three types of people that everybody loves. Nobody wants. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I know. Okay. As I say that, I know I'm wrong. But I'm saying at least there's bipartisan support on some of those. Um and uh, nobody wants uh, to see, you know, nobody wants to see there be fewer teachers at their school, right? And so, um, so I think that it's that the money that's going to some of these things, you know, should just absolutely be going, be going to those. I, things. I agree you with saying? you. I think they could have tightened that a bit, though. Like, I, I don't want any. I, I like I'm I'm recording from Oklahoma, where for several years uh, counties in Oklahoma have four day work weeks for teachers because they don't pay them enough. 
And right, I, yeah. as the evil tiny government guy, am like, just raise taxes. What's wrong with you? Pay pay the teachers enough to like go to school, bare minimum. Right. Um, so I, I agree with you on all of these things. I do think they could tighten that though, in that the initial estimates of lost revenue we had were much, much worse than they've been. Um, it ends up being something like one percent for state and local uh, local governments that they're not able to cover. But we're we're doing basically sixteen percent with a stimulus bill. So about sixteen billion probably could have covered the spread, but we're giving five hundred billion. So there's the bit that's been affected by COVID, but we're really overshooting that, and it's that gap that I have a problem with. By the way, I'm really impressed with your napkin because that was some uh, fucking math you just threw out there. <laughs> I um. I, I yeah I mean I can see that and then and I think again like the administration you know it what's really interesting too I think about the Biden administration so far is they are not denying any of that <laughs> I mean they're just sort of like yes we're giving them more than they need because we're good we're erring on the side of giving them more because giving them less meant that in in 2008 meant that it took that much longer for us to get out of uh, the recession that we were in then. So it's, I think Biden is just so lesson learnsy from 2008 that he's like, we're not going to fucking do that again. We're going to fucking go hard and fast. Um, Cena, I have a question for you, which is um, these, for example, the child uh, cash assistance for, ch- for families with children is set to expire in a year. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Like, do you think this is going to be a popular program? How's it going to play out after this year? Well, I think they'll definitely, I mean, that's one of those bipartisan things that I think everyone kind of agrees up, upon, right? The, the family unit and giving people money to have more kids. I think all of those red states are going to, um, you know, rally behind something like that. As a person who, I guess I can announce this, that is about going to have a child in August. Congrats! Uh, hey! <laughs> I think it'd be great. Adding to, to the Iranian to population, <laughs> one baby at a time. <laughs> but I think it's definitely something that that we're going to need to have because that is what keeps things going, right? When you have families that are growing, you have more people that join the economy, you have more more things like that. But if the education kind of deficit doesn't get fixed, right? And I think that kind of goes back to why I think that was good to give a lot of the states more than they needed so that they can determine where the areas are that need the uh, money more, right? Like in Oklahoma, to Andrew's point, maybe that school district needs an influx of cash so that they can start, start teach five days a week. America is quickly becoming the least educated country in the universe, all right? I always like to use universe because yeah. if you say world, <laughs> Mars is outpacing us. What's wrong Mars. with us? This is, we need Mars to get has it a great Botech program. Like, it's all free. And if you just look at all the the kind of uh, information that we do not, uh, you know, hold as truth anymore, it's important that we start retraining people into be critically critical thinkers. And the and school is the only place to do that. Okay, that is a beautiful point. And we are going to leave it there. Folks, tell me what you think. Did you release a few tears reading some of the <laughs> I did. Guys, I cried a little. Because I. it is a lot. We're doing a big thing. It's bigger than like the New Deal. We're spending more money on this than, wait for it, we've spent on wars for like the last 10 years. And that's great. I've lo- I, I've always wanted to spend more money on this stuff than war. 
know what I mean? Like, give me more of this money spending and less war. I mean, fuck. So anyways, let me know what you think. And, um, let me know how it's going and talking to your conservative relatives um, about this uh, about this plan. What do they think? It's it's wildly popular, um, according to polling. So uh, that includes some Republicans. All right. We're going to take a quick break and learn about the sponsors that have uh, been keeping Fake the Nation going. Um, and then there will be other new sponsors, maybe some of the same ones that will keep us going in our new life at another home. Uh, so give them a listen and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about other things. back. And before we get into topic number two, I wanted to let you guys know about a cool thing. Now, unfortunately, this is one of my like New York City specific things that I'm going to mention. Um, this is a service called tryspread.com. It's called Spread. So go to tryspread.com. And it's a commission-free version of Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, all those things. Um, because, you know, they, they're basically cutting out the 20 to 30% commission uh, that restaurants can then give you in the form of discounts or uh, exclusive offers or whatever. It's right now, it's only in New York. And, and look, it's I think it's like a labor of love situation. Um, check it out. I don't know anything about it, just that I've been told and I'm interested and I'm going to, and I'm going to try using it and I'll report on how that goes. But, um, and, and then I don't know, maybe they're trying to go to other cities. Maybe you're, if you're interested, you want to try and bring them to your city. Um, but I love the idea of, as you know, helping restaurants and getting, and I, I, uh, one of my best friends owns a restaurant, Lemon Poppy Kitchen in Los Angeles, which Cena will be going to every day now that he lives there. Um, and, uh, and, and let's support and let's figure out ways that they don't have to be burdened with commissions, um, from these places. All right, let's get into topic number two. This week, Stacey Abrams accused three Republican-led state legislatures of a coordinated attack on voting rights. Basically, the GOP is out to minimize voting because, for example, um, I'll just tell you what's going on in a couple places. The Georgia House of Representatives on Monday passed a bill that would get rid of no-excuse absentee voting and it would limit vote by mail. They basically want it to be, you know, harder to vote but, um, absentee. You, you have to be over 65, physically disabled, a, a military person, um, or an overseas voter. Um, similar bills bills are coursing through places like New Hampshire and Arizona. So I guess my first question, Andrew, for you is, is it a fair characterization to say that the GOP doesn't want everyone to vote? Yes. <laughs> What's going on Yes. I, uh, I, I try to give... I try to give the benefit of the doubt when I'm when I'm looking at, at parties and things like that, and I do not think the Republicans have been acting in good faith. I think uh, the the run up to the attacks on the Capitol that happened, where we had all these court trials. Like if if you look at any of the court trials that the Trump administration was doing um, to try and uh, you know throw out these ballots, it was always you need to throw out these ballots specifically in this. Democratic leaning county, just this one county in this swing state. All the other counties are fine. We don't have a problem. I mean, it was a, it was incredibly targeted. It wasn't. There's a problem in Nevada, or there's a problem in uh, Pennsylvania. It was a, there's a problem in this bright blue spot in Pennsylvania. Just throw that out. Keep everything. I mean, it was very targeted, very strategic. Uh, the the logic is, insofar as I can tell, is Republicans know the party knows that if there's lower amounts of people voting 
it's more likely to go better for the Republicans, and that if they can add these problems to it, um, then it'll it'll make it more difficult. Now, there's there's some things that I think they've got a point on. Like for example, I understand I understand and I sympathize with the impulse to make sure that you can't just walk in and say a name and that's it. There's not some kind of security check going on. I get that. And I think there's there's something to be said also for if people don't have ID, there's a bigger problem in your state and that they're also not getting banked and things like that. But that's something to take care of as a state as a whole rather than work on just in terms of voting. Like, let's get everybody an ID then. And then after we do that, let's figure out how to incorporate that into the voting. Uh, but the other stuff, like one of the elements, uh, I think in Georgia. And then what's weird again about that, let's get everyone an ID, is that you know, there's a push to not have undocumented, you know, it, it, it let's make it scary for undocumented people to get an ID. They won't get an ID. So then they, you know, obviously undocumented people can't vote. Um, but I think, I think the getting an ID, it's like, it does seem there is like an added b- burden. And there's the, you know, again, I don't know uh, specifically enough about that, but I can see how that could also be used as a metric. I, I think if you're, if you're um, putting to, the to suppress people, yes, if you're putting the pressure on people to get an ID and you're working two jobs, you're probably not going to go do it. If, if you're, I, I, I am a single mom, I have two jobs and now I have to go to a state agency. I have to take time out of my and day. Get an to get, ID, right. that, that's, that's a, a burden you're what placing is your, on people. But what is your point position? What about just like you, you, your register, you register your car. What about making registration easier, but with like your voter registration happens when you um, are registered at the DMV? Great. I think that's a great idea. I, I think I think states should be trying to figure out a way. We should be actively trying to make it easy for people to vote legally. That is absolutely something we should be trying to do. We should not be trying to erect ways to disenfranchise people from the process. If all of us were upper middle class retired people that had lots of time, then maybe it would be fun to figure out how to only get people that care about it to vote. But as it is, no, we, we need to, anytime we're going to err, we need to err on the side of people that are going to be dispossessed. So I think the Republicans are doing that. A great example of, of malfeasance here is, I believe it's in Georgia, they're trying to outlaw giving water or food to people in line. They're also trying to restrict the amount of times that polling can be open. So I, I don't I don't understand what the what the putative logic is of this other than just we we just want to restrict the amount of time people can go vote in it. So I I, I think it's in bad faith. I think Stacey Abrams is right. Yeah. And I think um, my my question, I guess, Sina, for you is um, the the weird thing about 2020 is that they the Republicans lost the Senate, but very on a sl- very slim uh, minority. And now they also, um, you know, they lost the White House, of course, but they didn't lose it by as much as we had hoped in either case. And they also gained seats in the House. Now, what what that sort of indicates is that voter turnout increased a whole bunch in 2020, and yet it helped Republicans. Why do you not want to say voter turnout might actually help us? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think because historically it has it. I actually like to go back to 2010, which is where I think there was a huge shift within the Republican Party where they that actually- was also a really good year for me personally. Continue. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I call it the Nagin year in my life. It was that it good. Was re- yeah. yeah, no, thank you. I thank you because it really was. It was a great year for me. I had my first film out. It got onto Netflix and uh, I was dating some guy, doesn't matter who. And, you know, I was just having a good time getting 
getting drunk. Go ahead, Cena. Sorry, I'm sure your point wasn't about my love life, though. <laughs> well, the Republicans <laughs> at that time they started flexing all of the data muscles that they had. Mm-hmm. They started gaming every single state house in the country, and they started flipping seats at the ground level. And I think that was a sea change for them because once they were able to do that, then they controlled the districts and how they were drawn. They could gerrymander. That means you're controlling who's getting into office. You're also then controlling how people are voting. And so when you start, you're able to do that, that can just, that's not a two-year thing, although they made a lot of changes. They made a lot of like, um, you know, gains in those next couple of years. But that's like a 10-year plan. They looked out 10, 15, 20 years and said, this is what we need to do. The Democrats have just failed at that. They're It's a very reactionary party, I feel like, a lot of times. If something's trending on Twitter, you got Kristen Gillibrand saying, let's do this, let's do that. She's coming out of the woodwork, out of nowhere. It's like, we need to have a long-term strategy if the Democratic Party wants to fix something like this. And I don't think it's going to happen at the federal level. We can lose House seats. That's fine. But what about the state houses? That's where all the magic happens. That's where all the meat and that's where America really is at the end of the day. I Can I give a scathing indictment of American democracy, Nagin? By the way, you know, wait, <laughs> but, but quickly, I just want to point out, Cena said the state houses. That's where all the magic happens. Um, is just a sentence you just usually don't hear in life. You know what I mean? Uh, so I just want to take a minute to respect how boring Cena's life is, that that is where, where he thinks magic happens. You haven't lived until you've watched public broadcasting of the New York State Legislature, all right? Cena yeah. uh, is hanging out in Sacramento right now and is just in the corridors of adjacent power. Oh, sorry, committee um, meeting is going in. I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, you can you. What was the crazy thing you were about to Thank say? Thank you. I was going to go off on a crazy tangent. I think Cena, you're exactly right about that. I couldn't agree more on that. 2010 was uh, a a mass like gerrymandering goes back all the way. Like it goes back pre-America to like rotten boroughs in England. Right. 2010 is where gerrymandering meets in industrial level 21st century data mining and Republicans came in with surgical precision and went, we're going to make, now granted this congressional district's going to look like a squid having sex with a skateboard because we're going to make this <laughs> weird thing that connects four different things. And it like, like I, like I, I, I wrote a book called laughter is better than communism. And there's a whole chapter just on gerrymandered Warsarch tests where you can look at a district and go, what does this look like? <laughs> like there's one in New York that looks like a lemur throwing a boomerang because <laughs> if, if they're connected by water, they count. And so they're like, the district's actually two separate locations, but there's a river. And, and it's because like the rich folks up here and there's rich folks down here and we, we only wanted rich folks, right? So that's, that's a major problem, which brings me to like, I, like yes, Stacey Abrams right about this. And we need, we need to be keeping Republicans from stealing these elections. And this is the other thing. The whole system's rigged, and it's been rigged for a long time. We don't live in a competitive democracy. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party both, the leadership in these parties, don't want competitive democracies. They want a duopoly. They want to have two options that you have to choose between. And like the scary thing, to throw some more envelope numbers at everybody here, um, in the 2020 election, as contentious as that was, there was a 93% retention rate of existing uh, politicians. So senators, congressmen, governors, presidents, and and uh, local state legislators, 93% kept their jobs 
for, for all of the bluster about we live in a democracy, we had a 7% turnover rate. And if you go back over the last right. 20 years, right. it's about 94% retention rate. We don't have we don't have competitive elections in America. 7% is about no. 7 to 8% of the districts in America are competitive. Otherwise, they've been rigged and designed to be permanently Republican or permanently Democrat. Both parties are doing that. And the way we need to get around that, in addition to doing these things that protect um, lower income people from getting disenfranchised, people of color from getting disenfranchised, we need to seriously start looking at ranked choice voting and open primaries, because those are the ways that we break this monopoly the two parties have and let people like me that are an independent actually get enfranchised into the system. Can I just point out for listeners that as uh, Andrew mentioned ranked choice voting, Cena pumped his fist into the air <laughs> like he was at a fucking NFL game and his team just scored. Um, folks, I do love ranked choice voting. I, yes. <laughs> I fucking Such love me some ranked choice voting. I'm right there with you yes. in the fucking fist pump. Excellent. And can we just... Just shout, I know I shout out New York City a whole bunch, and it probably annoys some people. I'm so sorry, but one more shout out to fucking New York City. We are fucking doing ranked choice voting in our next elections, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to put some people's names in a list. It is the most exciting, and I think it'll just mean that we're going to end up with a candidate who makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. You know, it's the most number of people are going to be generally satisfied. When it, people aren't going to be bouncing off the walls satisfied, but they're going to be generally satisfied. And I think um, it's just going to get better results. So I think you're absolutely right with ranked choice voting. I also think it means that third and fourth and fifth parties have a better shot at this thing, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to ranked choice voting. Um, and and I also think, like, the parliamentary system is better at, for, for other parties, right? Like, it's, it's, it's better at having multiple right. parties. Our system is not very good at that. And shy of changing it into a parliamentary-style government, I don't know how to do it, you know? Um, but I agree that it's... Um, it's ridiculous. Like, I, you know, and I think with ranked choice voting, you can picture a place like Seattle ending up with a Green Party sure. candidate or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Uh, if if, if so, you're like a hardcore so Bernie person, um, you know, like when Bernie was running, a lot of the rhetoric was like, listen, Bernie would be great, but we have to go with whoever, right? But like if you have ranked choice voting, you can do that. You can go, look. I love Bernie. If he doesn't make it, fine, I'll vote for Biden, whatever. One of the other benefits, I think, to it is that um, the, the current system we have basically forces candidates from both parties to be more extreme because the only mechanism they're afraid of is getting primaried. If, if, you're, if, if you're in the 93% of American districts that are safe, 93% are safe, the only thing you have to worry about is getting primaried because you're too nice to people on the other side. You vote for the stimulus bill if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you, I don't know, you do something about the Second Amendment whatever that thing is, you're going to get in trouble. But if you have ranked choice voting and if you have more candidate like top five or you have open primaries and things like that, then I am I am then at liberty as an incumbent to actually represent the entirety of my district as opposed to just the crazy people in my party. Because at that point, like I can only th say, say things that are rhetorically great for the extremist activists in either camp. And most of the American people aren't in that. About 7% are either uh, conservative or progressive yeah, activists. Yeah. And you know, 
What's interesting is I, again, I think uh, one one of the, I think, uh, momentous episodes here on Fake the Nation was that we found out that Elizabeth Warren was dropping out of the race while we were recording an episode. And I fully fucking cried um, in front of everybody because it was real, because I was, I believed in her so much. And I actually think if we had ranked choice voting, she would have been almost everybody's number two choice because that's kind of a, that's kind of a category that she held and uh, and we may have ended up with her because it's that's kind of what happens with ranked choice voting is you're like second where you're like, this person is my fave and this person, the second person will do. Um, we also wouldn't have had Trump. Trump wasn't the the number, the, the favorite we, pick. We, exactly. We, we would have had John we Kasich or would, Romney or something. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, completely. We also wouldn't have had Trump. Um, and yeah, so I so I, I agree with this wholeheartedly. Let me ask you guys quickly. Um, we mentioned this a little bit in the other segment. Uh, we read a piece in the New York Times uh, called uh, fucking uh, the generation. Oh, here's. There is a generational divide among Republicans, um, and this was in the New York Times, and it basically found that one of the big differences um, for young people in the Republican Party, Party versus old people, we continue to talk about what is the Republican Party, um, Cena that one of the big things they found is that y- the younger Republicans are more likely to support cash assistance, just straight up cash payments. Um, what did you What did you make of that different that generational difference? Sorry, just to re- repeat back real quick the the difference between younger Republicans and uh, older Republicans is that younger Republicans are more likely to support just cash assistance. Um, what just in in general, like this question of what is the Republican Party now? Because we've all determined already that they're trying to you know they're a party that doesn't want us to vote as much, and. Except for, you know, the younger generations have these interesting other elements to them, which is like they're okay with cash assistance, um, straight up cash checks. Uh, What do you think of that difference, that generational divide? What do you think that means? The biggest one is 2008. You got a whole generation of young people and Republicans or Democrats, whatever, and everything in between and on the extremes that saw the trusted, if you do the work, then you will be successful mentality that their parents had and older generations had completely fail. So they're willing to take cash assistance. They're willing to take in this actual money because they know they can put it to work as entrepreneurs, as uh, small business owners, or are participating in sort of like community-based projects and stuff like that. They know that they can do a lot more with that money than others. I think it's the, the same idea of, you know, they still want a small government, right? Because it's a Republican thing. They don't want a big overinflated uh, kind of you know, bur- bureaucracy because they probably are very skeptical on how of it, how, how it's spent. But if you go on TikTok, I've seen like, you know, thousands of these kids that are in their early 20s just taking money, putting in the market, doing retail investing. They all feel a lot more confident about it than I ever sure did. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that millennials... Um, in their 30s, they own a share of national wealth that's about one quarter what boomers owned at this same age. 
So they're just not doing um, as well uh, as their parents. Um, and 2008 is a, is a lot to blame there. So I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and the other thing with it is like, so it's weird. So this is what's weird to me. It's like, in one hand, don't let people vote. In other hand, support something like cash assistance to families because A, it is pro-family fundamentally, and B, it's pretty fucking Christian, right? It's like a help thy neighbor, right? Christian move to like Hanout and Muslim move and Jewish and a bunch of other nice things um, <laughs> to help your neighbor. Uh, and so it makes sense that you would support that. It fe- like it feels incongruous to me that these two things should uh, exist at the same time, you know? And also I think... Here's what I think. If you're a young conservative and you believe in something like cash assistance to families, that's what you should go talk about all the time. Throw out all the other, the dog whistles about immigration and all of that. Throw out all of the just naked racism. It's not going to help you in the long run. The only thing you should go out and talk about is how you want to help families. And that'll get you votes. Like, you don't need to suppress votes, right? Like, there are other aspects. Emerging in the Republican Party are other aspects um, of rhetoric that are just far more popular and, you know, dignified you know, than any of that stuff. And um, think, Andrew, what do you what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I So I think that the Republican Party is fascinating and kind of frightening to watch uh, because it is going through these tectonic shifts. Um, the, the two that I think are that, that I am observing are there, there's an ideological shift going on and there's a socio socioeconomic shift going on. Um, both of these are probably going to make the Republican Party more inclined towards uh, uh, helping families, cash, direct cash benefits, childcare things. Uh, both of them are going that direction. So, for the from the basically the '70s up through uh, like 2015, the Republican Party was this weird alliance between libertarians and televangelists. Like it was between people that were like no government, but also maybe outlaw gay people. Like it was this very strange and it, it, it kind of, it was this fusionist thing that's declining very rapidly. That old kind of, uh, um, small government, like yay, free market, uh, free enterprise thing is dying out and it's becoming much more populist. And the, um, populists aren't, aren't as much ideologically tethered and they, they do tend to be more, um, in favor of the government helping families and that kind of thing. So I think the Republican party is moving that way, but the really big thing, I think that's much bigger than ideological. Cause I tend to be focused on abstract stuff, is I think that the Republican Party is going through a shift, as is the Democratic Party socioeconomically, where when I was a kid in the 90s, the Republican Party was the country club party, and the Democratic Party was the labor party. And now the Republican Party is becoming the dive bar party, and the Democrat Party is becoming the managerial party. So if you're a manager or a very likely a company owner, you've got a graduate degree, you're probably a Democrat these days. And if if you're if you're into NASCAR and and PBR and things like that, you're very likely a Republican. And so there's this weird shift happening that's different than what we had previously. And uh, in both cases, though, I think that the Republicans will probably be more of big government to achieve conservative ends as opposed to mm. ideologically mm-hmm. rigid. Uh, Sina, final thought on this as we wrap up? 
Yeah, I think I would just take one quick step back and just talk about term limits for a second because I think that also feeds <laughs> okay. into yeah. here. And I think, and I think, Cena for governor, idea. run against Gavin Newsom. Now, now Andrew is a uh, fist bump, uh, <laughs> pumping his fist in the air. Uh, the these guys are just. Yeah. This is this is like the, the episode where like, we're all orgasming when we hear the word, hear the word ombudsman, and like we're like, oh yes, she's bringing up Robert's rules of order. Yes, this is my day. So, Cena, talk about term limits. I mean, this when you run for office and you get elected to a position, it's a public service. Service. And somehow that has gotten lost on Mm. everyone that these politicians and these career, it is not a career. It should be like the military. You go and do a couple tours, get out, go see your family, go be a father or a mother or whatever, and get out of there. Do your job and leave. That is how things should be done. Now, I get it. It's cool that Nancy Pelosi grew up and doing the dock labor unions and she knows the ins and the outs. She knows the deal making. But write a PDF tutorial. Make a YouTube. Pass it along. Come on. It's not brain surgery. I know lawyers built this country and they built it so complicated that only lawyers understand it. But we need to get back into the idea of getting fresh and ranked choice voting is part of this. But we got to get these people out of here. You got people falling asleep at committee hearings. None of us, if we were in a committee hearing, would be asleep. We'd be feverishly taking notes. I'd be trying to suppress how aroused I was just because I'm super wacky. That's all I'd be doing. Thinking about old men walking through snow to get through the hearing. We're going to end on those two notes. Andrew's arousal, A, and then B, the stirring cry from Cena to write a PDF tutorial. Uh I think uh, we all felt chills when he said that. So, um, (laughs) Cena, killing it today. Folks, let's um, thank you for that. Let me know what you folks think um, about voting rights. I I met, well, uh, are you not into them? No. (laughs) Um, There's Probably like negative numbers of listeners who are not into voting rights in um, of this podcast. Uh, And now we are going to move on to topic number three. So Megan, Harry and Oprah sat in a trillion dollar Montecito ranch slash botanical garden for an interview that rocked the royal family and was watched by every man, woman and child in the globe, including some of those students that go to Mars uh, for school. Um, Folks, what did you think? Just like uh, first, see, what were your first thoughts of this uh, royal um, out, uh, what is it? Airing out of grievances. When I heard them talk about the firm, all I thought about was that Megan and Harry are whistleblowers. And that's what this is. <laughs> they are whistleblowing on this firm yes. that is supposedly masquerading as a quote family. There is nothing. The Manson family was more of a family than the Royal family. Okay. <laughs> this is not a fam. This is not a real stop telling everyone that this is a family. There's not a family. There's no family dynamics. There's no like, Oh, I fed my kid and I made a mess. Look at this baby. And so no, it's a, it's a corporation that has to run. They've got things they have to do, like governing rules. You got you got you can't social media policy. You've got everything that a big major corporation would have. 
plus the corrupt bureaucracy at the top. And that's what I realized. I didn't, I mean, obviously none of us, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure none of us really pay that much attention to the royal family. This is the first time my wife is into it. We got into it. And I was like, this reads like someone is exposing a a, a rampant racist accounting fraud in a major (laughs) corporation. (laughs) Come on. Andrew, uh, I know, I know you uh, breathlessly have watched every minute of royal news uh, in the last ten years. I, I mean, I am a duke, so it's kind of part of my job. Uh, yeah, okay. So yes, I agree with all of this. However, I'm also very unsympathetic to Harry and Meghan. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not feeling warm to anybody in this equation. Like, okay, jaw-dropping uh-huh. thing I researched today because I went down a rabbit hole. Do you want to guess how much of the planet the British Crown owns? Anybody have a guess? Oh, God. 8%? One-sixth of the the landmass of planet Earth is owned by the British crown. They own so much money. There's what so does much that land. mean? Like, is that just they added up all of the buildings and shit? Uh, like, what is that? No, it's... Well, it's so, so um, to get a little bit complex, it doesn't mean that the queen's private property is one-sixth of the globe. She can't sell it. Yeah, but like that's what I mean. like, most of yeah. Canada, like 90% of Canada is the property of the British throne. Uh, I think t- there's is some weird technical thing where like all of Australia is technically owned by, but, the, but they own like they own uh, the, the crown owns 1.4% of England, but most of England's owned by like 10 people. Um, like like the, the crown owns all this stuff. Um, so I'm okay. Here, here's what I wow. like about the crown. Here's what I don't like about the crown. What I don't like about the crown is it's re-microwave feudalism. Like somehow it managed to survive and keep all this land. And like, that's, <laughs> totally, that's really totally. weird. I don't like that bit. The bit I do like is I think that the British have stumbled onto this great system accidentally where they've figured out how to split reverence and power, which I think is brilliant. Like in America, you'll hear people say things, you know, I, I don't agree with the president, but I respect the office. And I'm like, I don't think you should. I actually think it's really dangerous to to have the head of state be the head of government because then when the head of government wants to send people off to die and kill people in another country, we're like, well, oh, but he is the president. We gotta be we gotta be respectful, right? Whereas they don't have that problem in Britain. In Britain, they have this nice old lady that wears a flower pot and she's married to a hundred year old Greek vampire. That's their head of state, and their head of government <laughs> is a bureaucrat. Everybody makes fun of, regardless of party. I think it's very very healthy. I like that bit. It's the feudalism bit that I don't like. Um, and the, the, okay. The part that I didn't like in the interview was I, I do think there was a lot of calculation going on with Megan and Harry. Like the, one of the big parts that's brought up is, um, Archie was denied princehood because he, he has, uh, he's not ethnically pure. He's, 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 he's because of racial reasons. And then I looked into this and like, none of Prince Edward's kids are princes. None of princess Anne's kids are princes or princesses. Like the crown doesn't automatically bestow princehood on everybody. You have to be in a very direct line of succession to get it, but it got played as, well, my kid didn't get princehood because of racism. And I was like, no, it wouldn't have happened either way. So that made me go, okay, I'm sure they researched this. Like, I'm sure that Megan, she seems like a very canny woman. I'm sure that she looked into this matter. And and so that tells me that there's some maneuvering and positioning going on and that there were some self-serving elements of this interview. Well, and it's interesting because like, if I had heard you say that yesterday, I would have bristled um, because I would have been like, oh, that's so, un- you know, unsympathetic to, you know, their situation or whatever. And again, I I, I didn't go down the same rabbit holes. So I don't know, like the naming convention. You, you didn't get into like, like property rights, estranged <laughs> estate tax, what I, whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, did, I did not get into, no, no. So like I said, I, yesterday I probably would have been more defensive of them, but I did read an interesting, a, a political piece um, called Megan and Harry will never be this interesting 
again. Um, and it was really interesting because it pointed out that a YouGov poll found that 70% of respondents, this is before they interviewed, 70% of the respondents declared themselves not very interested or not interested at all in Meghan and Harry. And that... Um, uh, let me see. A, another YouGov poll showed a steep decline in Meghan and Harry's measured favorability. And weirdly, they 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 mentioned this in the interview. They now have a deal with a huge deal with Spotify, a huge deal with Netflix, mm-hmm. right? So they're now going to be bread earners. Um, and they had a favorability problem. Um, and I'm not now. Here's here are two things that I think it's possible to think and feel at the same time. I do think that it it that it's an old institution. I do think that what Megan experienced was racism. I do think that she probably didn't get the mental health uh, uh, help that she needed and the support that they needed. I do think that living under the tabloid mi- um, microscope of the United Kingdom sounds miserable. So I do think, um, you know, it sounds like they went through a harrowing experience. It all of that I think is true. And I also think that they are media figures, that they are in a new business, uh, and that they need to have higher favorability ratings or whatever if they're going to be successful in their endeavors. Um, and so I think all of these things can be true, right? I don't, mm. I don't think it's just soulless, horrible calculation, but I also don't think that a time bit of calculation didn't also go into the interview. Uh, does that, and, and interestingly, I think people in the United Kingdom were a lot more angry about the interview than people in the United States. It's well, we were just gawking at if, it. Like, it was fun for us. Like, we, yeah, it was fun for us. And we were very sympathetic. And I think it, it's, I think it was really aimed at an American audience mm-hmm. um, but, in the way that their production deals are in an American context. Cena? I think I would challenge the idea of whether or not we need to give them sympathy. I think it's a lot more about empathy. I think it's just about understanding where their what their experience was growing up or, or for Harry growing up and for Megan entering into this family. Because if you think about it, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if someone ends a text message with a period, I'm spun out for hours until I receive a follow-up message. I can't imagine if the tabloids were writing things about me. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? And I'll say one more point on this issue, and this is going to be uh, a little crazy. Harry is not Charles's son. You want to talk about genetics of skin color oh and stuff God. like that? Let's talk about the ah, genetics of red hair. Head person in the royal family. No, there ain't no. You know who was? Diana's riding instructor, okay. Mr. Hewitt. Get some. Get some. At me. You, at me. Come on you now. You are really in the rabbit hole I, I, because I bet you that 30% is... of the royal family is descended from riding instructors. Like at any given time, any century <laughs> in history, it turns out riding instructors and tennis pros are actually the heads of state of Europe. That was my mom's hot take from the very beginning um, when we were watching. She's like, there's no way. There's no way that's uh, her, his son. Um, I want to point out to, I got a couple of, um, our, our friend Beth McGregor, who uh, has been on the show. She lives in the UK part-time. And she said, as an outsider, the interesting thing about the royal, so like, it's like for me, this is interesting just because it's interesting. I don't like care about the royal family 
at all, generally. Like I would, if I met them, I'd love to have a beer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'd, let's I'd love out. to like, slug an cool. ale with Libby. I feel like she'd be a stand-up broad. <laughs> Ask her what Churchill was like. Yeah, like I'll do, I would do a curtsy, but I would also be like, I can't believe I'm doing a fucking curtsy. You know what I mean? I keep, like, I I, keep I, hoping I, I would somehow inadvertently save somebody's life. Like I, I would be watching to see if I could shove someone out of the way of a car. That way I could get knighted. That would be at the back of my mind the whole time. <laughs> well, and that's exactly the thing that Beth brought up. What she brought up is like, the interesting thing is that you'll see people in the upper echelons of, of society with PhDs, people that are like, do not believe in the concept of monarchy clamor to go to parties at the palace mm-hmm. right they they are like how what malaria fundraising event can we throw that will be supported by um the royal family and the firm right and that's the so the the weird thing is is like it is in the the thing about it is that it's britain's reality tv show but um, unlike, you know, Donald Trump's reality TV show, it would never allow Trump to be involved <laughs> because it's a reality TV show that has some dignity. And then if you get to if you do raise enough money for malaria, then you do get knighted. Right. Like that's it's like and everybody wants to achieve that status. So even though everyone's sort of like this is ridiculous, they are also still playing into it. And then the other thing I want to point out uh, another friend of another buddy of mine who's a, a born and bred um, Londoner said that um, one of the things that she felt was like you're sh- that that Prince Harry is the same person that dressed in a Nazi uniform and used a, a, a slur um, uh, against uh, South Asia uh, uh, Pakistani people. Um, so he's that same person uh, who has learned and he admittedly and has rehabilitated himself from those times, who ended up marrying a biracial woman, a mixed race woman. And, you know, so he's he knows more now. He was young. He was an idiot then and, and less self-aware. But it is still hard to listen to a lecture from him knowing his past, right? <laughs> right. So that's like the, the the hot take from my friend. It's like, okay, I mean, you've had your, you also had to learn, buddy. You know what I mean? Um, to, to, you to, your, to your point earlier, Nagin, about how people like PhDs will get obsessed with this. I, I read about a study a few years ago, and I haven't been able to find it. If anybody finds it, tweet me. I'll tell you my handle at the end of the show. But the, the, the study was they took either chimps or gorillas, and they basically went, we're, we're either going to give you a picture of the highest ranking gorillas in your troop or a banana, take your pick. And the gorillas would always pick a picture of the highest ranking gorillas in the troop. Yeah. There's there's something so wired into the mammal brain of we crave having a social pyramid. We want it to exist and we want to we want the top of the pyramid to love us and we're obsessed with it. And that is this bizarre part of our psyche. I love that you said that, Andrew. Like, I actually was going to bring that up. There's something in the human condition, and now that you said that, it's obviously the mammalian condition that makes us put people in power on these pedestals and Tacoma's curry favors, similar with Trump. We do it here. We did it with Obama. We did it with everyone that's like a popular celebrity politician or a position of power. Even people, you know, when you, I'm a producer, so I go into different corporations and I'll make a video, and then the people that, like, revere the CEO, he's just some old white guy to a guy coming in to make a 
video. Uh-huh. I don't care who this guy is. But within that little ecosystem, they are the powerful mm-hmm. one. They are the king or the queen. And to me, that is what is at issue here, that we need to evolve beyond this idea of putting people on pedestals because no one really is perfect, right? I used to do improv. No one's perfect. We've all made mistakes that we have to learn from. <laughs> well, and I and I and I think here's the thing. Um, a point to that is, you know, another thing that a friend of mine, that this friend of mine said, was that the um, crown had a, an opportunity here to respond quickly. And swiftly and say racism is bad and make a full fucking speech, like a big, a nice royal speech about how racism is bad. We need to do some work. The country needs to do some work. And we're we're here for this. And that would have been so great for public relations. And they have not done that. The response has been slow and weak. And so that's also, I think, disheartening for the crown. And then also that Harry took this moment to basically shit on the UK that gave him everything for free. And here's the thing that I that I would say about that is that tourism is a big the royal family is a big driver of tourism. So the UK is making money off of the reality TV show that is the royal fa- the royal family in ways that are not necessarily like immediately tangible to us. But it's 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 not like you know this like this um, political piece pointed out. It's not the Scandinavian uh, royal family mm. that everybody talks about, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, when we say like, the queen, Swedish... no one ever goes Beatrice. Which queen right, are you talking exactly. about? Exactly, exactly. So it's it, it, so no one cares about the Swedish ones, and so I think there's some there's a there's an aspect here of Meghan and Harry taking a dump on the royals who weirdly fuel some aspect of the British economy, A, and B, just the way that the the UK is perceived around the world. It is really damaging to them because it just is like, um, oh, so you're, you know, this institution that's revered for whatever reason um, is shitty in many ways, which obviously it's shitty. Anything that old is going to be shitty in some ways. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the crown had an opportunity to 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 be, say you're fucking right, and this is how we're going to change because they have to show that they can evolve and adapt, and that then that they're not racist if they're not racist, right? So I feel like that was also a crazy. Prince Philip should definitely be in charge of this. I don't know if you've ever. Everybody, feel free to Google like (laughs) is he the funniest Prince Philip lines. Prince Philip is like like literally imagine a 1920s aristocratic cartoon character who wakes up every day and goes, "Well, I'm fucking the queen. I can say whatever I want," and just like. (laughs) Goes out and says amazing stuff. Like he'll just he'll like go to Barbados and like like get off the gangplank of of the steamer ship that he just arrived on and go. So you all are descended from pirates, yes? Like it's just this very like like just, it doesn't remotely care. He's like I don't care. I, I like leave. We, I live in Buckingham Palace. Um, I, I'll, I'll add one other thing that I, I think is amazing. There there, there was this period of time um, where. Uh, in, in proper like AP style uh, with journalism, you're not supposed to say the queen. You're supposed to say, or at least in Britain, you're supposed to say Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. That's the proper way to do it. You don't say the queen. That's too casual, right? So there were all of these auto programs uh, with with newspapers that would mm. automatically change the queen to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And it would run automatically. And editors that didn't catch it would end up publishing articles that would say like, 
Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II produces over 30,000 eggs a year and is attended by drones who keep her and the rest of the hive working. Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II uh, has over 30,000 male drones that service her and bring her sugar water every day. It was great. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, but I, I think, Nagin, back to your, your earlier point, I think you're spot on. I think that it can be all of these things. I, I, I think that um, there, there, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be under the microscope of the British tabloid. If, if like three strangers say something mean about me on Twitter, it ruins my day. I don't even know who these Completely. people are, and it can. I'm so thin skinned, it can wreck me. If I, if 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 one of my friends, like the the period example Cena gave, is great. Like if one of my friends just doesn't respond to a text message, I have these crazy paranoid delusions oh, in my yes. mind that yes. I'll, and then I'll call them, and it's like, oh no, I just like I was eating a hot dog, like like because it turns out I'm not the center <laughs> of the universe again. And again, this is all of my life is just discovering about the center of the universe. So I think that that's all completely true. And I think that there is some self-serving elements going into this because I like I, I'm just like, why did they do the interview? Like they're throwing the royal family under the bus. They are. They're throwing oh, their family man. under the bus. Um, I I look at like Harry points out at one point, like you know, they cut me off from finances. And I'm like, but you also said you weren't going to do your job anymore. Like you made this big announcement that you weren't going to be a royal anymore. Why would they be giving you money as a 36-year-old man? And you've got $10 million from your, your mom's estate that you can live on for the rest of your life. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think there was a lot of media jockeying involved in this and will probably benefit them and they'll get a show out of it. And they already have deals out of it. I mean, they, you know, like, you know, they have deals and hilariously... They do not already have multiple, like, five-year successful series under their belt. You know what I mean? Like, they have the kinds of deals that are reserved for for actual producers of content, you know? And so that's, I think, also hilarious. I mean, they have that only because of birth. Uh, Cena, final thoughts on the royal family, which you are now incredibly enamored with and will only talk about for the rest of your days. We've had such a year plus long intense discussion around race in America, and I think it's time that the UK have their time to have a very intense discussion about race in their country. And I think one I said in the beginning is that they were whistleblowers. And so I don't. Yes, of course, there is some planning and some strategy. There is planning and strategy in every business meeting or every media uh, appearance that you do. Right. I don't have a problem with that. I think what they did was, yes, they helped themselves out a little bit, of course. But at the same time, they are starting a reckoning within the United Kingdom where people that just blindly followed the, the crown and just went with whatever they were doing now realize they need to look in the mirror a little bit and just kind of realize, hey, OK, maybe there's some problems we should start addressing. And yeah, like, again, crown, let this be a moment to, like, fucking help the country talk about race. Like, in a good, in a positive, in a constructive way. Like, don't lose this opportunity. It's so dumb. It's kind of like suppressing votes when those votes are the reason you got more seats in Congress. It's just stuff that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Um, Folks, uh, that's the end of this show. Oh, I'm so sad. Um... Cena, I want people to find you and all the stuff you do. Where do they do that? Yeah, I'm at Cena now, S-E-E-N-A-N-O-W. You can uh, also listen to us on Frosters. It's Spotify exclusive. Uh, so that's the only Frosters. place you can find. Frosters. 
absolutely look for it on Spotify. It's just another app on your phone. You can <laughs> find it. it. Come on. <gasps> Andrew, where do people find you? Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Mighty Heaton. I'm nice. Uh, I won't argue with you, but I'd love to hear from you. And I'll, <laughs> if I could pitch people on my show, uh, if, if that's okay, um, I, yes. my guess is that many of your listeners disagree with me, but don't hate me. And that's awesome. Well, no, they're, 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 you know, they run the gamut. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. So I'll say this. Um, I, I host a show called The Political Orphanage. It's designed for people that don't feel like they fit in red team or blue team and are kind of exhausted by the histrionics between them. I'm really interested in coming up with solutions to fix problems for our country. I'm really interested in hearing from different viewpoints. So if you want to encounter a diverse intellectual diet and you want to do it with fun people that don't yell at each other, you might very well have a home at The Political Orphanage. Um, you should be subscribing to the political orphanage. You should be listening to fraudsters. You should be doing all of these things, folks. These two, they're, they're top notch. They're first rate. Um, and I just want to, uh, remind people that I'm at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. So please join me there. And again, I'm so sad that this is my last show with Earwolf. Um, again, uh, we, the show continues, don't worry. Um, but this is my last show here and I really cannot thank enough the 100%, especially the pandemic team, which has been Anita Flores and Andy Christens. And they have, uh, dealt with some just tense, frustrating, like logistical nightmares, um, technical nightmares. And they just in every situation, uh, managed to have a smile on their face and calmly sort it out. Uh, so I, I, I can't thank them enough for being a fantastic pandemic team, but then also just being generally the most expert and competent people I've worked with, um, I really want to credit Anita with so many of the amazing panelists we've been able to bring on this show. So many of the new voices are Anita's ideas. So many of the ways that we covered the election uh, were Anita's ideas. And I just, uh, I really can't thank her enough. Uh, Anita is actually listening right now. as uh, She does to every episode. So I'm at talking as if she's not in the room. She in the room. Um, and I'm just so, so sad. I'm not going to be able to see uh, both Anita and Andy every week. I want to thank um, everyone, the, uh, Gabby Alter and Lily Flesh, Gabby Alter who writes our theme music, uh, Lily Fleshler who helps with research. Um, you know, they'll be helping me in the new uh, at HeadGum as well. But I want to thank all the other people at Earwolf, Jared O'Connell, Harry Nelson, Gianna Palmer, the Reverend John Delore, Nora Richie, Greta Cohn um, from back, back in the day, Colin Anderson. Um, and above all, I really, really, really want to thank Chris Bannon. Um, he's uh, one of the big wigs at Stitcher and um, and which was the person who I, I, ha I worked for him at WNYC and he said, hey, do you have any podcast ideas? And he is the reason that I am in podcasting. He's just an excellent, an excellent individual who knows absolutely everything about radio and how to make it entertaining. And um, uh, and I'm just very, very, very grateful to him uh, for, for giving me this opportunity um, and for bringing me to all of you. So thank you so much. Uh, and um, and uh, that's it. Uh, Cena, Andrew, thanks for joining me on this last momentous day here at Earwolf. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we will be back in your earballs next week. <laughs>